My name is Taylor Clement and I am the head of school at Kirk Day School. And I'm Maria Massey, I'm the school counselor at Kirk Day School. The goal of this podcast is to walk with parents through issues and give tools and considerations in parenting for topics that our students face each day. Today we're going to talk about language and inappropriate behavior and really what I would call the invisible man. So before we get into this, though, parents, we do want to disclaim the the fact this is a parent podcast right now. Uh, There's others where we say, hey, it's totally fine to listen to in the car. This one you're probably going to want to be by yourself and or listen through headphones just so we can actually have a a frank discussion of some of the topics. That's where we want to start. Give you guys a a second to to be able to adjust for that. But I'm going to start with a story. A few years ago, I got a report from a kindergarten teacher that a child brought a pornographic magazine to school. Of course, that's very alarming. We don't want our children exposed to that. We want this to be the safest environment socially, emotionally, and spiritually for them. We did some investigating, and it came out of the word of a, of a kindergartner that, that I saw a naked woman on a magazine at the school, and so we, we react and we search bags. We find out who the culprit was, when it was shown, we went through the process. Interestingly enough, it was two friends. He wasn't trying to get his other friend in trouble. He was just shocked by, by what he saw. What he saw was a fully clothed woman on the back of a comic book and it was just that there were some accentuations on this woman oh, man. but the child didn't have the language or the way to communicate he just immediately regurgitated what he thought he saw wow there was really it was very pg material but to the child obviously it was it was sure. a bigger impact i called the parent let them know that ch- the child who brought the comic book it was his father's comic book it was a little bit older and it was it was beyond a kindergarten age of of understanding the mom said, hey, I'm so sorry about that. The reality was is there was really nothing to apologize except, hey, maybe the kid shouldn't have had, had the book yeah. here at school. We're not talking about a weapon. We're not talking about true, you know, even a magazine like an Us Weekly, a People magazine, sure. where you might see a woman in a swimsuit or a man, you know, without a shirt on, something of that capacity. Definitely wasn't what we thought the, the child had said, but reactions immediately ensued. Definitely. That's the email that gives you the gray hair. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Right? It's hilarious, though, in one sense. It's like, oh, that's funny, it's cute. On the reality, though, we see this happen all the time, and we see parents react very differently. And I call this the invisible man because kids are savvy Mm -hmm. at how they do these things and how they bring these things up. Their exposure, the way they bring it into the school, so often they think something's bad, and instead of asking mom and dad, they're just going to bring it to school and say it. That's where I want to start today. That's where I kind of want to enter in. I call it the invisible man because it's almost impossible to catch. It is. And one of the things, I mean, kids are really, really great observers. They're not great interpreters. So they You say that a lot, and I'm glad you're bringing that up here. Yeah, they see so much, and their little brains can only process so much and only understand so much, which is so good, and I'm thankful for it. But then the explosion of that out of their mouth as their brains are trying to process can often be, uh, can often stop adults in their tracks and be like, wait a second, you're eight. How did you, how did you pick that up? Like, how did you know that? Where did you hear that from? And I think even for me at times, my first reaction is I'm appalled. And I'm like, you're a little kid. How do you know that? And I have to remind myself, 
kids are much smarter than we give them credit for. Yes. Yes. They're also going to repeat. Yes. And repeat and repeat. And it's part of their own social understanding, their own growth in mm-hmm. and saying, okay, is this appropriate? Or it may be slightly inappropriate. I'm going to say it and see what happens. Definitely. And we also hit that family standard where one family says this is not appropriate ever. And there's a reason and a very diligent reason why For sure. that's not appropriate. Another family says it's not really that big of a deal. We're not talking about a morality standard here. We're also not talking about a biblical standard mm-hmm. in some cases. Some cases we are. Families value different things, Definitely. and families have different lines that they're comfortable with, particularly in how they raise their children. Yeah, and I don't know if you would agree with this, but I would say for whatever reason, language and, quote, inappropriate behavior seems to have some of the largest gap among parents about what's appropriate and what's not. So it, we It can, is a great schism. Yes, we can all agree that pushing someone or punching someone is not appropriate. But man, when it gets down to the nitty gritty of, well, you know, this kid cussed at my kid, the reactions and and the beliefs about how strong or how bad, quote, how how bad that is, ranges. Right. Whereas we see some parents who are, no big deal, apologize, move on. Other parents are appalled by that. And rightly, and I get it, I understand where they're coming from but it's probably the largest gap that I see I don't know if you'd agree with that but I I would definitely agree with that and my parents definitely were very particular in how I was raised they were very much uh, language was never an option Mm -hmm. I never heard my parents Mm -hmm. use foul language Mm -hmm. they they were very controlled in that manner I wish I could say I was that controlled at times (laughs) but they they wanted to raise me a certain way they didn't want me to be exposed to certain things there was some real they I feel like they had a very good judgment of that mm-hmm. as I was growing up I remember going to see Saving Private Ryan when that was in theaters and I was too young to see that on my own but I remember my parents went and saw it they took me to see it they, they knew I could handle mm-hmm. that the, and even though maybe some of my peers wouldn't see that yeah. and I appreciated their discernment and the way that they went about it and there, there's always something also kind of just inciting where a rating defines oh, a movie definitely. right and we all can give examples of pg-13 movies that should have been rated r r yeah. movies that should have been rated pg and mm-hmm. vice versa and there's different decades and different mm-hmm. standards it's really interesting though uh, when i was a kid i remember my dad had just taken a job in the town that i ended up growing up in and my parents had taken me a few weeks before to see home alone <laughs> and home alone one is more disrespectful Mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. has more foul language mm-hmm. than I could ever remember because we all kind of love the story, Definitely. but I, I'm a little bit appalled and kind of wonder, when am I going to show my, my kids this Christmas movie? Fast forward, a few weeks go by. We're at this dinner, and it's a very casual restaurant. They're just wanting to get to know my dad and his family. And I walk up, and I quote Home Alone, and I quote <laughs> maybe the worst scene possible from it. And here my my parents, they're appalled yeah. by by their their very young son at the time. And if you know me well, you know I quote movies all the time. And this was my first foray into quoting. And of course it got a laugh from the table. It also got a spanking when I I got home. So yeah, it's, it's an interesting thing. Did that reflect my family's values? Absolutely not. Did that also reflect who I was as a child? 
No, it did reflect that I'm a sinner and I'm, a, I'm in the need of saving grace of Jesus. Yes. It did not reflect everything. It was a moment for me yeah. of and repeating. It, it reflects that you're in process, which we need to definitely discipline, for lack of a better word, right, with the spanking. But you were in process of figuring out these social dynamics right. of, well, what is appropriate to repeat? How, like, if I'm seeing this from a same age kid on TV that's really funny and an entertaining movie, it'd probably be okay for me to say it too, right? Like, that makes sense to me. Right. You know? And I think we do need to be aware, obviously, of what our kids are watching because that is definitely a way that they interpret and learn um, how to respond to adults and how to respond to their peers. And today with, you know, social media especially, they have a lot more exposure to their peers than they did in, you know, in my, in, in years before. And so really parents taking ownership of, of that and saying, being aware of what they're watching and being aware of how those kids in those movies are treating adults is, is good. And I know we all have that story of like, man, I can't believe my kid just said that in this social setting. Oh, yeah. Yeah, like yeah. faces turn red. I haven't had that yet since my daughter's just learning how to talk, but yeah. Yeah, the Ark Link letter and thus eventually Bill Cosby's yes. kids say the darndest kids things. Say the darndest they things, do. Yeah. They also repeat the worst things possible. They do. And man, when that happens, it's embarrassing. It is. It is. And it, it can be a reflection on the parents. It can be. But more often than not, it, it really isn't. A lot of times it's kids testing that social norm. And what I see is I get a second-hand experience mm-hmm. through a third-hand parent mm-hmm. when something comes to me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. My child came home and said that this child did this. Now, that's appropriate. Let's talk about Definitely. it. Definitely. Let's also use some discernment and what happened there. And I've seen it where parents come and they say, hey, this is a full judgment on this child. It's a full judgment on this family. I can't believe that they're being exposed to this. The reality is, is they're probably not. Kids are often write checks they can't cash yeah yes oh for sure yes and they may not even and this is not an excuse they may not even be aware of the words that they're using and what they mean go further on that meaning like you know if if a kid walks in and sees something on the the screen here's a here's a word from a tv show or movie that maybe their parents are watching it doesn't necessarily mean that they know and are using that word with the intention that it is meant to be intended for. We know what it right. means because we're adults and we're going to look through it in that eye. So if a kid uses the F word or you know something like that, we're interpreting that through our lens of understanding what the F word means and its social implications, that kind of thing. A kid who's five is, chances are, not going to fully understand. For that matter, though, our 12-year-olds aren't going to fully understand the implication of what that means. And probably are saying it because they see see it get a reaction. Right. And so two two quick stories. One, uh, my mother-in-law is a lifelong (laughs) kindergarten teacher. She had a pastor's child one day raise his hand and says, you know, I know, I know a word that starts with V. She says, okay, please share. The V was the letter of the day. 
He proceeds to say the F word, but he instead of <laughs> starting it with the phonetic F, he starts it with the phonetic V. You know, it gets a good laugh at the dinner table now, and we, 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 we joke about it. But here it is a pastor's child. She thought, oh, totally fine. Yeah. Did that reflect the values of that family? Again, no, it didn't. Oh, the other would be Michael Scott, <laughs> right? One of the my office. favorite characters. And Michael comes in Phyllis's wedding, and he says, I'm instituting prima nocta. Now, the historical and Latin root of, of, of that, uh, meaning first night, there, there's plenty, parents, you can Wikipedia. The reality is Michael thinks that he's doing something funny and honorable, uh, in the in the moment, and he's being clever. The reality is he has no clue what it means. Somebody tells him what it means, and he's having to meet with the HR person, etc. That's our children, though. Definitely, definitely. I feel like there's so many examples in the office of uh, <laughs> yeah. that that could correlate yeah. to our children. But yes, our kids don't always know what they're saying. They don't know how it can be harmful to people, and they may not understand the social context and the cultural context for why it's not appropriate to say those words, if that makes sense. Yeah. So, and again, you know, you hear a lot on TV or a lot on social media or whatever, and they're just processing it and regurgitating it. There are times where I think kids do know very well what they're saying, and we do have to work to distinguish when that happens. Yeah. And I think when we get to the point where we realize, okay, he does know what he's saying or she does know what she's saying, then we need to come alongside and have a conversation with them about why this isn't appropriate and and give them a little bit of of the social or cultural context behind the word rather than just saying, don't say this. Because when we, when we come out with this, don't say this, I mean, sometimes that makes kids want to say it more. Other times, it just it doesn't help them understand the importance of language and the importance of how our language reveals our heart. That's a part I'd like to dig into a little bit. Primarily because girls and boys are going to interpret things very differently. differently. So boys are going to come out and they're going to say something very offensive, mm-hmm. typically. Mm-hmm. Girls have never heard that, and a dad wants to protect his daughter, or a mom cannot believe that a boy would say that mm-hmm. to a girl. A lot of times these barriers are being broken because, A, they don't know they exist, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and, B, Again, it's a boy exploring his world. Now, girls do this too. There's there's reciprocity there. Please don't misunderstand that. It's just rather common that boys say and act on something, and girls will interpret it very differently. Mm -hmm. And the reality is is there is a maturity factor. We know this. Girls do mature sometimes Mm -hmm. a little quicker than boys, but boys are exposed to more mature things a little quicker than girls. And so you take mature subject matter and an immature young man they're going to say it, act it, do anything they Definitely. can, and a girl may have a better understanding of what that means, and it may be much, much deeper yes. to them and the way that that plays out. So how have you seen that play out, both from the student side and parent side? I think from the student side, you know, what can happen for the girls is that they feel embarrassed. They feel 
a sense of shame or like, ooh, I don't, I can't repeat that. Like, I shouldn't talk about that. That kind of thing. For, you know, if it's, especially if it's a sexual comment. I mean, that's basically what we're talking about here. Of course. Um, and so, yeah, I've seen a, a, a very kind of almost like a, I need to whisper what I heard from girls. You know, what I will see from girls is I need to whisper what I heard because it's so inappropriate that if I told you, it would, it would make you feel embarrassed too. And I get that. I tended to be that kind of, of girl. So I understand from their perspective where they're coming from. It feels like a very private, we don't talk about, you know, we don't talk about this, so I need to make sure that even when I'm talking about it, like, I don't say it too loud. And I think it, it in my experience with girls, it has made them feel incredibly uncomfortable. And understandably so, because chances are their exposure to those words especially at the age that our girls are, and I'm not saying this across the board, but has probably come from a parent, hopefully has come from a parent. At times it comes from peers, and when it comes from peers, especially if parents haven't had an in-depth conversation about it, it can feel very jolting. Right. And so that's what I've seen as far as girls go, how they respond. Uh, And... The boys, I think for them at times it can be hard to know why this affects girls. Why does it bother girls if I'm not saying it? And frankly, about boys think them. things are funny. Yes, yes. And girls think they're gross. And, like, and I, to be completely honest with you, that still happens as adults. I mean, my husband made some comment about you know, boy, something that he was doing with his friends. And I was like, that's like gross. Why would you call, like, why would you do that? And we're adults, you know? And so there are still things to this day. Right. I think that, that, um, um, yeah, that men find funny that women don't. And that is okay. That's a God's design. That's a difference between us. That is okay. I think the important part is that we teach our kids and we help them realize when someone feels uncomfortable. If we make a comment that's, that makes someone else feel uncomfortable, we need to address that. Right. And I think we also need to continue to teach that sex is sacred, that any kind of sexual comment or innuendo or whatever it may be can pervert what sex is created and meant for, if that makes sense. Right. So, and that's one of the reasons that, you know, people can feel uncomfortable when joking about it is because it is something that is so good and what God intends that when we make fun of it or when we make light of it or we use it to embarrass somebody, it can really have an impact on us, if that if that makes sense. Yeah. Once we had a student explore some topics on the web, and the way they got around our very secure firewall, our firewall, the way they got around our very secure firewall was neither here nor there. 
uh, not to totally give that out, but they got around it and they were exposed mm-hmm. some, to some things. When I confronted the student, the student wasn't there being like, yeah, I did it, you know, so what? The student was like, yes, I did it. What does that mean? Yeah. They had no clue. And they were exposed yeah. to some extremely adult things, things that I would never want my child exposed to. I remember bringing you in on that conversation. Yeah. And we kind of had to name it and, and proclaim it mm-hmm. in the sense that, yes, God has established and ordained sex for, for procreation and ultimately his glory, that, that God has given that to us, that he's created us to be that way. He's created us with a curiosity mm-hmm. for that mm-hmm. to as we grow and develop towards it. However, we also want to make sure that, that our students understand that when we begin saying words or acting or doing things that have a sexual connotation to them or even asking those questions, that there is a sanctity to it. Definitely. That we, we can point to Scripture and say, this is the way God intended. And what we have to, I unfortunately, I think, have to make clear to our kids as well is that the world that we live in does not do that. And so the examples, and I am not one to sit here and and bash the world that we live in and culture and say we need to be apart from it. But I do think we need to be frank with our kids and say that that there are going to be people that you meet in this world that do not view sex and the relationship between um, a man and a woman in the same way that you do. There is going to, there are going to be people that, that you encounter who will not treat it with the same regard and sacredness that we do. Right. And as parents, I think we need to be understanding that even the parents that we interact with within a Christian community can be at different places on that journey, if that makes sense. They yeah. have different experiences. And so, and you have very young believers, definitely some parents rather that are very young believers, and they're not quite at the same level as maybe a family that has generations of believers that have grown up in the church. Exactly. So there's a lot of things to consider, including the parents' history, you know, and and what their story and what they have learned about, um, you know how how to engage with the opposite sex and what to say. Let, let's push into the families real quick. Yeah, the family standard is one of the most contentious pieces of this school. How can you call yourselves a Christian school if this is happening there? Well, I hate to break it to our parents, but we're a school full of sinners, every we one are. of them. I, and I say that facetiously. Um, you're welcome to call me out on that if you disagree. But every one, of, every one of our students, every one of our teachers, myself included, we're all sinners. But these family standards vacillate from, from high, high morals. And I, I want to be clear on the word morals. We're not talking about biblical standards. To, to some that, that are a little more free-flowing and say, I want my child to have a little bit more of an experiential childhood. Mm-hmm. And so we see a laissez-faire parent, yes. as, as you and I have talked about before, somebody that's going to let happen, what happens, we're going to be hands-off, let them experience this, upwards of a family that says, hey, we're going to put up as many blockades as we can to make sure that our child is protected as long as they can be. And there's good in both, mm-hmm. but often when we hit conflict of, of a story being brought to us and saying, hey, do something about it, Christian school, it's because there is a misunderstanding of what the child has said or a mm-hmm. child's complete ignorance of what they've said as far as the the Mm -hmm. meaning 
and then pushing into that family standard. Yes. All of that. Yes. I, there's a lot that you just said there. I think I would, yeah, it, it's really hard to come to grips with the fact that there are going, we are going, our kids are going to interact with other kids who have a different standard. That makes me feel uncomfortable as a parent that I have, I am going to work so hard to sculpt and shape my child's worldview. And then they're going to enter into a place where they're high at and, and where they're highly influenced by their peers, where they have a lot of exposure to peers and that they may not have another, they may have a different worldview than me. Even within a Christian realm, there's a lot of variation in that. Yes, that makes me very uncomfortable as a parent. And my kid is one and a half, you know, and I'm already thinking about that. So I totally understand when you have shaped and sculpted your child for all the years that you have to send them into a place where, where they're going to be exposed to different things is scary. And we can decide, I think, to either embrace that and help them process through that and talk through why we don't believe this is appropriate or why it may offend somebody else. Or we can just kind of put up that that brick wall around us and say nothing's going to get in we're going to protect our kid from everything well and my, my father-in-law who's a longtime educator actually describes it and, and compares the two between being a farmer and being an architect yes yes so an architect's going to draw out the plans and want the plans executed and they say i want this building built i want it to be this color this way etc and they expect that to be carried out where a farmer says my goal is to grow this I'm going to do my due diligence, I'm going to plant, I'm going to water, I'm going to till, I'm going to do all the things that goes into making sure a plant has every opportunity to grow, but then let's depend on the Lord to let that plant grow. And we want our parents to be farmers. And a farmer does not mean we're lazy. A farmer does not mean, obviously, we think of farming as a very tough, hands-on job. It is, Mm -hmm. but it's different and the expectations are different than being an architect. Definitely. Where you do a lot of hard work, and that's no offense to architects out there, then we're just using the analogy. Farmers is, is a much better place to be in this, in this than, than an architect. And I think, you know, the really interesting thing about that analogy is that a farmer has a lot less control than an architect does. And, you know, the farmer can't control the weather, can't you know, to some degree can't control bugs, pests, all that kind of stuff. And when we feel that sense that we're losing control, we can go a little cray cray. Right. I mean, it can it can drive parents up a wall. <laughs> yeah. uh, so, and, and uh, again, it's not something that I'm saying you need to not feel or, or ignore, just something to recognize that if you, if you feel feel out of control how do you respond when you feel out of control and in a situation where we're talking about inappropriate language speaking from the administration and school side probably one of the hardest things to control ever i mean and it's not that we don't want that i want to be clear scripture says out of mouth the heart speaks james says that if a man is using false or, or poor language his religion is false 
So scripture clearly speaks to foul language. There is no question there. The difference that I would say is it's not that we are accepting of it or will put up with it, but going back to how we opened this podcast, it's the invisible man. Mm -hmm. Children know when to say it. They know that if the teacher's at the back of the line and they're at the front of the line, they can whisper something. They know that there's some freedom at recess or at the lunch table Mm -hmm. and that in a loud, maybe kind of a white noise atmosphere, they can say some things or talk about some things. And it's not that the teacher is not doing their job. They are. They may be dealing with something even more serious. They may be dealing with something that, that's totally nebulous at the moment. The reality comes in, and, and the weight then comes in when that teacher is being blamed for not doing that. And I think the question that comes to my mind with that is how do we teach our kids to have integrity and self-control in moments where they aren't being watched, where the teacher isn't standing right next to them. And you're talking about righteousness. Yes, and that is not something that a five-year-old gets the first time. It's not something that I get the first (laughs) time. I mean, we have to be patient with our kids in learning how to manage the, the language that comes out of their mouth, the, the processing of what they see, and we have to teach them how to be gracious to their peers as their peers are also learning that. Because it can, it's a two-way street in the sense that we are called to be gracious when we hear people use language that we don't like or talk about things that we don't like just as much as, as we need to be proactive in, in helping prevent that. We need to be gracious when it does happen. Right. That's what we're called to do as Christians, Right, is to, to extend grace to one another. That doesn't mean we don't call it out, and that doesn't mean that we don't address it, that we let it go. It also means that we are patient with, with those in process. And administratively, I want to be clear, one of the things that we want to see with a child is we want to see improvement. Mm-hmm. We don't expect perfection. We do expect improvement. And that, that's a line of delineation that I think sometimes parents say, I don't want my child ever exposed to that again, and they want to shut it down. Our goal is to see improvement because a child may not be perfect or they may be in a very bad pattern yeah, in, of, of saying these words or being exposed to a few different things that are out of our control as a school and we want to do our best to partner with parents in the nurture of covenant children. So as we go through that, that that's one thing I want to make sure that our parents understand. A story that, that I think is really interesting, so my, my mother was the daughter of a preacher, Southern Baptist preacher, and my father is still a deacon at a very large church in, in the small hometown that I grew up in. Both take language both take my actions very seriously and they did especially when I was under their roof so I remember my parents once were watching Dances with Wolves great 1990 Academy Award winning for Best Picture Kevin Costner good movie I was in bed and my parents were, were just watching the movie after I had gone to bed and I remember I walked in probably at the most inappropriate time in the entire movie I mean, there's one scene in this movie that, that's just inappropriate. And just like, you know, Murphy's Law would, would predict, yes, I walked exactly. in and I see it. 
my parents said, pause the movie, they said, go back to bed, you know, they got me back to bed or whatever. No big deal, okay? Next day I go to school and I'm telling all my friends about what I saw. It gets back to my mom of what I had said. She's mad at me. Of course I'm never going to be able to, to, to see this movie. You know, it's, it's kind of one of those, those deals. It wasn't that my parents valued that. My parents were adults. The movie's rated PG-13. They, they had every right and adult reason if they wanted to watch that when I was in bed to do that. I, on the other hand, was also just a kid who saw something who didn't understand it, and I went to school and I repeated it. Now, that doesn't mean that I need to do it again. It doesn't mean that I don't remember that I had repercussions for that action. But it also didn't mean that I needed to be ostracized and, and booted out exactly. and, and now become a pariah for the rest of my, my social norm because I had gone to school and, and done this one thing. It also didn't mean that my parents were used to having that type of material in their homes. I never saw um, a pornographic movie or magazine in my home when, when I was a child, that was just not something that, that was around. The first time I ever saw anything like that was at another friend's house, frankly. Mm-hmm. And it was a friend that my parents didn't really know, and, and it was kind of one of those situations. Mm-hmm. Another time growing up, going to my grandfather's house, who was the Southern Baptist minister, I remember watching an R-rated movie at his house. It wasn't a bad movie, but it did have some foul language in it. And toward the movie was almost over. My grandfather heard this this very strong language and pulled my mother aside and said why is my grandson watching a movie with that type of strong language I was in high school so it wasn't like I was sure you know totally being robbed of my innocence by this and my mom said you know I thought it was okay for him to watch and he said maybe in your house but not in my house Mm -hmm. now there's an opportunity there for the grandparent parent relationship to to have some schism to mm-hmm. have to have mm-hmm. some some kind of sandpaper feel to it my grandfather said when he's finished I just don't want him to watch the movie again I love the wisdom of knowing the movie's almost over I don't like it I'm gonna let let you know I don't like it and it's in my house mm-hmm. and I like this idea of the house rule I feel like that that's fair you know don't my know. kingdom my domain mm-hmm. I don't want this happening and I like that because I want to control my home. I don't, I don't know if it's my place mm-hmm. to control someone else's home. And I love just his reason with it. That never came up again. Sure. But I do remember that, 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 those two stories, right? Both could be a very bad reflection on my parents. Neither one of them were. We're talking Dances with Wolves. The other movie I mentioned was The Untouchables. Neither one of these are, are terrible movies. The Untouchables yeah. with Sean Connery and Andy Garcia and again, Kevin Costner. I guess Kevin yeah. Costner's in some really bad movies. <laughs> but yeah. um, I, I use that as an example mainly to say, here I am now enforcing that. I do not want my child exposed to things. Definitely. But I actually, I do want them exposed to things when it's age appropriate. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I do, I do want him to be exposed in a right social way with a biblical worldview I want him to also go through this process of not being the first to know not being the last to know that's a huge thing and in almost any topic that, that you and I discuss I also think I want him to wrestle with the questions of what's good about it what's bad about it what's confusing about it and what does scripture say about it mm-hmm. I think those conversations are so much more important to have than this is all bad, we're going to 
turn it off or this is all good, we can embrace everything. Finding a place for our kids to, to analyze and process what they're thinking is going to set them up well for the future so that when they're married and when they have their own kids, they're able to discern what affects them, how it impacts them, and, and what they want to be exposed to. Because as soon as, I mean, goodness, as soon as they get a cell phone or have a little bit more freedom in high school, have a ton more freedom in college, they're gonna be bombarded with a lot of choices of what they're gonna allow themselves to see. And let's arm them with the ability to think through and process through those decisions. And let, let's stop right there for just a second because one of the things that I want to be clear is some of our kids are getting phones very young mm-hmm. and that's a family's decision. Mm-hmm. Again, mm-hmm. that is not a school policy. That is a family's mm-hmm. decision. They have different lives. They have different ways that, and reasons that they, their child might need to have a phone, whether it be a smartphone, a dumb phone, whatever. I do find it interesting, though, that you bring that up because if we have kids who are getting on YouTube and, and they're, they're not getting on KidsTube or mm-hmm. anything like that or YouTube Kids, they, they're, they're doing something different. They get on something, and often, at least for men, it will be associated with sports mm-hmm. that something more nefarious pops up, and it's clickbait, and then something else and something else, and it's not just ads. But it's actually algorithms that, that YouTube or Instagram, Twitter, Snapchat, etc., are going to put in more of an exploratory way to get our kids, to get any human yeah. that, that's using their software to then go down these more and more clicks to get them to continue to use that product. But often that will, that will come where you get deeper and deeper and deeper into a web that has worse exposure. For sure. And, I mean, I can, I mean... This is much less maybe damaging, you could argue, I guess. But, you know, I can start searching on Instagram for one thing and 20 minutes later find myself looking at something that I didn't even intend to search for, you know. I went to look for whatever Joanna Gaines's, you know, Instagram post and have ended up on some other person who has something interesting. And so it's not that I'm necessarily ingesting images that are damaging as much as I'm not even consciously aware of what I'm looking at. And that's where, where we need to teach our children and even ourselves uh, to stop and pause and be more aware of what we're looking at and, and how it's affecting us. So, I mean, that's kind of a silly example, but... Well, it's not because it affects us. Definitely. And the thing to come back to, to circle back from this conversation is the items, the medias, the, the whatevers our kids are exposed mm-hmm. to, our students are exposed to, has an effect on their psyche and it has an effect on their heart. Definitely. And it ha- definitely has an effect on their behavior. And it does not have to have a long-term effect, negative long-term effect, on the child as a person or the family. But it is a time where we have an opportunity then to step into it. One of the things that I always say to parents, I do believe this fully, let your child fail here. Let mm-hmm. them be exposed to bad things at Kirk Day School. I'd much rather do that so that we can approach that gently, that we can approach it, yes, with kid gloves, but also with a biblical worldview. 
let us partner with you. Let us surround that child with as much wisdom as possible. And it may not be me. It may be uh, a teacher who's been here 20 plus years. It may be a new teacher who can really speak into this better than, than anyone else on our faculty. But let them fail here so that we can work with you and partner with you for that. Not to shame, not to ostracize, again, not to, to push a child into a social pariah situation, but to make sure that that child is known, that they're loved, that they're safe, and that now they're informed of what the behavior entails. Yeah, exactly. And I would say if there's one message that I could, that I would want parents to hear specifically about the topic of foul language and inappropriate conversations is to have grace for the kid that is saying it. I don't want to condone the behavior, excuse the behavior, but know that there is a story behind that. Whether it be something as simple and as easy and as funny as you walking in on your parents watching, you know, Dances with Wolves, or whether it be because that kid right now, their family is going through a very difficult time, and for whatever reason, he's being exposed to things that are maybe a little bit more mature. Have grace and patience for the kid who is using the inappropriate language. Call it out for what it is and say what you don't like about it. That is totally fair and right to do. And show grace and patience towards the kid and towards the school and the teacher. I hear you saying, hate the sin, not the sinner. Yeah, yeah. I mean, especially because he's a kid and he may not know what he's saying. But also, I mean... What if it's a repeat offender? It's tough. I mean, it's really, that's really tough. And I would say, how would, if your kid was a repeat offender for something, how would you want your kid to be treated by right. the parents and the administration and the teachers? Yeah. That, that would be my response to that. And what we always say is discipline and consequences are quiet and consistent. Mm -hmm. Quiet and consistent. We're doing something. There seems to be a schism often between the action and stories of what go home and what's actually being done. Yes, And definitely. it's a very uncomfortable place for our yes. parents to feel because we want them to have a sense of justice. We want them to, to come out and say, hey, we're, we're, we're on this. What's happening? We want to know. The reality is that's not fair to the child, and that's actually just a policy that I have mm -hmm. personally that I want that to be as quiet as, as possible. But please trust us. And, and, you know, Mr. Rogers does a great job of saying that our relationships begin with trust. Mm -hmm. And we're going to ask that of our parents. Parents, you do trust us in so many ways in the education of your children, and we're so honored by that. In the same way, we're asking you to trust us in, in this social component because that is also part of the child's education where we are going to do our best to make sure that the growth of the child is there spiritually as well as emotionally. Definitely. And ultimately, I would say, parents, encourage your kid as much as you can that they have choice, even when someone's using inappropriate behavior, they have the choice of whether or not they repeat that to someone else or whether or not they use that in another context. So as much as we would love to be able to control all the other kids in the classroom 
and even our own kids, we have to allow our children to fail and allow them to see that they do have the opportunity to make a different choice. That's well said. Parents, we're happy to talk about this more. We're happy for you, frankly, to disagree with us a little bit and would love to discuss that more even one-on-one. So don't feel afraid to to do that. Uh, Feel free to ask questions, email us. Also, feel free to email us with more topics as you keep listening and if there's something that you want to Um, get us to talk more on. We're going to include guests. We're going to do as much as we possibly can. It's fun for us. We hope it's fun for you, but thanks for listening.